What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the show. This podcast is supported by two incredible Bitcoin companies, River and CoinKite, which cover the two most important bases when accumulating Bitcoin, buying it and securing it. If you're in the U.S., River is the place to buy Bitcoin. Set up a zero-fee dollar cost average plan and let the sats pile up with no stress. Or buy and host mining rigs with them and have a steady stream of sats flow coming your way. Finally, if you're a developer or entrepreneur, River's Lightning service lets you build Bitcoin payments into your applications without having to run any Lightning infrastructure yourself. Simply put, the team at River are hardcore Bitcoiners that do things right. Learn more about them at river.com today. Once you've bought your Bitcoin, it's time to take self-custody, as this, after all, is the entire value proposition of Bitcoin. CoinKite is your one-stop shop to do just that. Whether it's a signing device, also known as a hardware wallet, a steel plate to back up your seed words, a block clock for telling Bitcoin time, a sats card for gifting Bitcoin, or a reservation for the highly anticipated cold card Q1 device, CoinKite has you covered. Visit CoinKite.com and use promo code VALIS, V-A-L-L-I-S, for 5% off today. And finally, if you'd like to support this show directly, you can do so simply by listening to it on Fountain. Just download the Fountain app on iOS or Android, follow Bitcoin Rapid Fire, and you're good to go. You can share your thoughts on this episode by sending a boost, like a tip with a message, see what other listeners have said, or even create and share clips of your favorite moments. Getting started is super easy. You can top up your Fountain wallet with a bank card, you can send a few sats there from another wallet, or you can even earn sats by listening to episodes and clips on the platform. To learn more, visit fountain.fm today. Well, Terrence, thank you again for uh, booking yourself in for this discussion. As we were just um, uh, having a chat about, I am, have been pleasantly surprised by uh, how this whole like book yourself in to come on the podcast for a discussion has turned out. Um, I've met a lot of great people through this, a lot of people that I never would have known of and reached out to. Um, and so it's been great thus far and that uh, you've, you've, done a lot of interesting things in your life i'm looking forward to uh digging into them today and i'm sure having another great chat thank you yeah it's we were just talking about how all these interesting people you've met and you like sort of all these different touch points that you've learned from people and how it's improved their lives and it it's one thing that I really like about Bitcoin is I find that so many of these different people you know you booking these strangers that you don't know like how optimistic they are and their buckets of life and and what that's done for them and how it's improved their life and like you were just saying well Bitcoin is just this weird tool it's this weird internet thing how is it improving people's lives and it's one thing that really hit me when I was getting orange pilled was you know because we always talk about what Bitcoin is and how it's a tool for this and it's a tool for that. And I think a lot of people intellectually get that, but it really is also a peak performance tool. I think it's a, it's a self-improvement tool when you think about how it, you know, I mean, you have to go deep, but how it improves money and how money is the cause of what all these people are, are seeking from the fiat foods to, you know, all these, you know, women's podcasts of, doing this meditation, this and yoga, this and lotion, this and exercise that and like all the different supplements. And it's a big space. And I have lots of friends that have some fairly big brands in that space. But I just think, you know, what's the first principal problem of all these second and third levels that you're trying to solve? Mm. And it's because of inflation. It's because of the incentives of money and getting stuck on the, on the treadmill and not being able to have a clear signal of 
you know, what money really is, that it's, you know, capturing your pastime in a pristine sort of vessel to carry forward and make clear decisions, but you're stuck making these decisions that don't give you the best health, don't give you the best exercise, the best living arrangement, maybe the best relationships. And I don't know that you can lead with that for Bitcoin. I think that's tough, but I think that's something that a lot of us Bitcoiners realize. And it's why some outsiders look at us and they're like, oh, you guys are a cult and you're all about your steak and your seed oils and your son and all this. And and I laughed the first time I was learning those things, but it's but it's true because <laughs> Bitcoin teaches us to question things, right? Mm. Like I I, you know, like a lot of us grew up in the fiat world and I just that that was just normalized. Like I have to make more money. I have to find better ways to make more money, how to leverage money. Um, and never thinking that, well, it's just a cycle because I'm going to just try to make more money and I'm going to have to spend more money. And to keep me happy doing that, it's all about, it's going to become about labels and it's going to become about titles. And now you have the corner office and there, here's, here's a parking space with your name on it. Now you're employee of the month or whatever it is. And people don't step back to think that, what, what is that doing? That is that just, in, you know, and it's such a small world. It's like with these little ants, like I look at these ants on the ground and I'm like, I don't know, is one flexing to the other? Is one, you know, look at me, I'm, <laughs> you know, but it's like, who, like when I look down at them, I'm just like, it, your life is so short. It's so small, like it, it's nothing. And I think Bitcoin teaches us that, you know, when in the fiat world, we're just constantly looking for people that we can trust more. Like, oh, we break up with people, we divorce. It's like, I didn't trust that person. I didn't trust my coworker. I couldn't trust my employee. It's like, who knew that it wasn't looking for more trust? It was actually the need to not trust. Like, and that was mind blowing for me. Um, anyways, I just jumped in. I'm some kind of rambling, but it- No, there's there's ton of, tons of great points there. And, you know, to your first point, it is, I had never thought about it, but how many industries could you just post a random like a link out on the internet for people to book themselves in and have such a high probability or concentration of like you know sensible educated sincere authentic you know people and not just like crazy internet randos fill up your your calendly thing right and i think that's a testament to all those things you mentioned how like what bitcoin attracts you know how like once people kind of see the qualities it brings, it resonates with those qualities within themselves and it kind of brings people in, but it also has this amplifying or tr transformative effect where once you come in, you get more kind of crystal clear on whatever those characteristics within you, be they values or principles or whatever else, um, you get more clarity on them. And then once you have more clarity on them, you elevate them more in your life. And then once they're more elevated, they orient you more. And then once they orient you more, they are they are shown they show up in your behavior once they show up in your behavior they actually you know radically change your life your physique your health your perspective your your income your job all these things and so you know you can see how it's like this cascade of changes and it's so there's a there's a pull initially perhaps and then there's a a push after that where it's this thing is is pushing whatever we might identify as its virtues or its values or its principles out into the people who most understand it, adopt it, engage it, leverage it, use it, uh, contribute to it, all those sorts of things. And um, it's amazing. And, and to, to, to the two points that, that, that you brought up, I mean, there's the one where the fiat system, as you say, conjures up all this 
trash basically because of the insidious effects of inflation and you know subsidi subsidies so that certain products get amplified and elevated and they're they're made more cheaply and therefore uh, more uh, affordable for more people and so that means that to your point about the diet and the the lotions and all these industries there's this perversion of the products that we're interfacing with and that are before us to ostensibly solve our problems that we face or help us meet our ambitions and so obviously a sound money system will help to rectify that we'll have to rectify what's you know before us but then there's the the elements and i think this is the broader point that you were kind of making is it is that so bitcoin is a you know a pure uh, form of truth perhaps the greatest sense of inter, a form of intersubjective truth that we have ever humanity has ever come across and that is another thing that really rubs off on people. And it's like, wow, like it's almost like you can't help but interface with such a dramatic or pristine form of truth and then not look for it in other areas of your life. Like, you, you know, you're confronted with it so much here. Of course, when you look to another area, you can be like, does this like, where's the truth in this area? And then you look to another area, where's the truth in this area? And maybe you'll never get a commensurate form of of truth because Bitcoin is that, you know, perhaps pristine version of it but nevertheless you you start to think and wonder and and want a greater degree of truth in all those areas and it you know this is very much goes back to that old quote that the truth will set you free there's a genuine faith in our orientation towards the truth there's an there's a faith in our desire for it and what do you know when you uncover the truth in whatever area it may be whether it's skin lotions or diet or relationships or families what the truth is the thing that actually delivers the best results right it 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 brings the most value to you and um i think you know those are two small kind of slivers of why this is having such a transformative effect on people and again why you know i can put out a calendly link and so many people will be you know emblematic of that all on their own journey and all imperfect and they would all admit that yeah but that this is a process that they've engaged in because they see so much, such tremendous value in doing so. And Bitcoin being the catalyst and the tool, you know, uh, to engage that or, for, or to allow them to do so. Yeah, hundred percent. I like what you just said there about, you know, how we're sort of always seeking the truth. And I mean, think about our world and how much of it is designed around spending more money and more resources because we don't have truth. Like, I mean, I just thought about it, what you were talking about, but like accountants, like on all the CPAs and doing our taxes every year. And it's like, we have to seek the truth for numbers because, and, and why do we? It's just math. And lawyers, we have to seek the truth. What happened in the past? You said this, well, you said that. Well, we don't know. Let's have discovery. Let's argue. Um, look at, you know, therapists, what's the truth? What really happened to you as a child? What happened in that relationship? You know, marriage counselors, um, it, it, you know, we're constantly looking for these intermediaries and because we don't have truth, it's why we live, um, you know, non-Bitcoiners anyhow, or, you know, still partial Bitcoiners, but why we mostly live in a custodian world. We, we have to, to custody certain things because we haven't had choices before Bitcoin because there hasn't been this pure clock of coordination and communication that we can set things to. And, you know, kind of like when, well, that's gonna go down a different tangent, but so, well, I was just gonna say, you know, like we, we set this podcast up for uh, 11 a.m. And I was thinking like, 
I don't know John. John doesn't know me, but I know he's going to show up there at 11, not only because he's a Bitcoiner um, and he, you know, has self-responsibility probably and self-possessorship and some sovereignty. And like I, someone was on Twitter the other day and they're like, have you ever noticed that all the Bitcoiners are, are fit? They all actually are, they actually kind of look pretty good. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. And I just started thinking about all the Bitcoiners I know and online or offline. It's like, yeah, they all do sort of take responsibility for their health and their fitness and their family and their, you know, mental well-being and whatnot. But anyways, back to the 11 o'clock, I thought, you know, like a clock, you know, either 60 minutes in an hour and that's pure. No one custodies the clock. We know what it is. So similar to Bitcoin, you can count on that. And we all do. No one challenges the clock. We know we, there's just 24 hours, but people don't think about what would happen if there were someone who could inflate the clock. And suddenly you're saying 11 and I'm going to show up at 11.10 because they just added 10 more minutes to an hour. Right. And it's kind of what's happening with money and you know what you were just talking about where we, we, we tend towards consumption rather than creation with fiat. You know, in Bitcoin, all it does is it motivates and incentivizes me to want to build, to want to create, because I don't want to overconsume because I can make the world, even if it's not, I can make my world deflationary by having, a, you know, pure money when everything ends up being priced in Bitcoin. I know we're not yet into a circular economy yet with Bitcoin, but I think we're getting close and there's devices to help us get there. But you know, if everything's going to be more expensive tomorrow, like especially after COVID, right, when the money supply went up 42 percent and we dumped, I think it was six point two trillion dollars into the money supply in two months. And it had taken 227 years to put that same amount of money into the money supply system before that. So 227 years, six trillion, and then now two months after COVID. And, you know, everyone was so uh, oh, yeah, I'm getting all these big, P you know, I have friends that were getting these six-figure PPP loans for their small businesses, and everyone was so excited, and oh, there's loan forgiveness, and there's mortgage forgiveness, and all this stuff, but people aren't thinking who is ultimately going to pay for that, like, okay, you got your loans forgiven, now your kids are just going to spend that much more, just, you know, it's the proverbial can getting kicked down, and so with those removing yourself from that sort of thought process, then yes, you, you know, you take that to every other aspect of, of food and health and sort of all areas of, of peak performance. And especially for me, what I think about a lot is, is career. You know, so many people are really, you know, unhappy in what they're doing, or they're not perfectly doing what, what they want to do, right? Like everyone sort of has this set of skills and they have their, their trades. And I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, a trade is called a trade because originally it's supposed to be just that. Hi, I'm really good at painting houses. I'm going to paint houses all day. And then I can take my excess contribution of painting that house. I only need so much of my time painting that house today to pay my gas bill, to pay my food for the day, to, you know, uh, proportionally pay that day's consumption. But that excess I want to save in something so I can trade it. That's why it's called a trade. You work this job, you can now trade it for anything else, right? It's us getting out of the barter system. But I think a lot of people don't think about it that way. And so they're chasing, they're like, how do I find a side hustle? What stocks should I be buying? And, you know, they're just, they're throwing money into the stock market and it's getting into passive indexes, which are 
basically propping up these zombie companies that really shouldn't have the money, but where else are people to put their money? You can't put it in savings accounts. And until you lay it out for people, they don't know because it's the only system they've known. That's all I knew. Growing up, I was just like, great, I'm throwing things in the stock market. Oh, I should have bonds. I'm supposed to have a 60-40 portfolio. And good or bad, you know, I feel like it's sort of indifferent. Um, Bitcoin going up, the NGU technology is still one of the best incentivizers, I think, because all the things that you and I are talking about, John, I, I agree on a high level. It, 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 it can improve the world. It can improve the environment. It can help the global South. And like, it can do so much for so many people, but at least the people here in our circles or here in the, you know, Western states, I think they need to first understand that Bitcoin also is number go up, you know, on a time frame of at least, you know, four years plus, because once people have some skin in the game and once they start to see that they, you know, even if it's just 500 bucks and they start to see that it's going up over time, they will maybe want to learn more. Um, I don't know. I, I'm conflicted with that because I <laughs> believe in the in the ethics and the purity of what Bitcoin is. And so part of me is like, it doesn't matter where the price goes. but you know, when the whole BlackRock thing came out and I started thinking about how conflicting that was, I ultimately came to the realization that it's probably ultimately good um, because I think I don't think people are going to dump their entire net worth into BlackRock. I think it's going to be RIAs that just put, you know, 1%, 2%, 3% of a person and, oh, they have a little bit of skin in the game and they learn. And as we hopefully educate and teach them, great, sell out that 3%, buy it back here, right? Or, you know, learn to self-custody mm -hmm. or uh, you know, I don't know if that's where we want to go, but I just, I know well, that's been big I feel news lately. My, my take, a, a couple things on that, but first with the BlackRock stuff. Well, actually, first with the NGU stuff. I mean, as we've often said, you know, come for NGU and stay for the revolution or come for the, the money, stay for the revolution, something like that. And I mean, that that's a, a great little catchphrase. Um, but NGU is is far deeper than just like your portfolio number, like the value of the, the nominal value of your portfolio going up. Because, you know, as you explore in your book and as we talk about often here, it's like, well, well what allows that to happen? What allows NGU to happen means the measurement unit is staying constant and that the money is being used to invest, to produce. And because the measurement unit isn't being fucked with and isn't vault, isn't uh isn't changing in itself in how it measures, let's say, then you get far more production, creation, all that kind of stuff. And as the pie of everything that you might um, use or consume or engage in or anything of, you know, the, the creative universe, let's say, as that grows, then that unit that is not changing has to change in its capacity to price and all of that stuff, that growing universe. And that's right. NGU, right? That that just means the purchasing power is going up. And so, you know, you scratch that, like, you know, we grew up in the fiat world, as you say, and you, you know, you buy your index funds and your portfolio and everyone's watching their portfolio and you have to, right? You have to go out on the risk spectrum just to preserve your capital. But Absolutely. when you really scratch, like why NGU is so important and why Bitcoin is going up forever, right? It's not just a catchphrase. It's that if humanity is, is going to keep flourishing, keep producing, keep innovating, keep growing, then that absolutely scarce unit, that inviolable unit that it uses to coordinate and mediate all that activity, 
has to go up in purchasing power because it its own supply can't expand. And so there's a, you know, that's a, a very deep rabbit hole in itself. And if we need to use yeah. just the, 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 like the, the uh, license plate sticker, you know, and, you know, NGU or Bitcoin is going up forever or whatever, then, then <laughs> fine. Because as you say, in the, in the world today, it's going to bring a lot of people in my, my perspective on the BlackRock thing and ETFs in general, or any white label Bitcoin, let's say anything other than self-custody Bitcoin. So there's the one hand, it's probably going to create more NGU, at least in the short term, right? Because all those ETFs are going to have to buy Bitcoin for their, you know, to run their ETF. And that's a reward for the hodlers. It's, you know, it anything that enhances the capacity of that group of people to execute on their beliefs, I think is beneficial from my perspective, because you know, the first people to be drawn to this thing and the first people to engage it and the people that really see the light, as it were, I think those are the people that are most ideologically uh, aligned. And, you know, we talk about values and principles and virtues, or at least I do all the time on this show, and it's yeah. a common theme for Bitcoiners. And so though that cohort of people having more capital at their disposal, I think is good for themselves and it's good for the world. So great. The concern is, or the flip side of that coin is, I think for most, because as as the kind of rationalization goes, well, you know, get Mr. and Mrs. Jones who have 5 million, you know, liquid net worth, upper middle class, wherever in the United States or the developed world. And yeah, let them put 5% into BlackRock. And then a few years later, they'll self-custody. Well, I don't think so, because most people are only motivated when things don't work. You know, if if they're on year three and you say, hey, you really should self-custody, they're going to be like, why? Every, this is super easy. Like everything, everything's fine here. And so my my fear is that, well, my, my underlying belief is that if it can be rugged, given a long enough timeline, if it can be rugged, it will be rugged. So these ETFs, maybe they're, they grow massively for five years. And then the real battle between Bitcoin and the legacy system reaches an apex and they pull the plug on it all. They confiscate it all. They shut it all down, whatever the case may be, as we've yeah. seen in the crypto world over the last 18 months. And I just think that's that's the next one, right? At, at the next scale, it's you right. get all this more money in, way more people attached to it and the rug gets pulled because um, that's just not, you're not using Bitcoin, the whole value proposition raison d'etre of Bitcoin is that you can custody your own wealth, right? You don't Absolutely. require a legal system for you to have that property right. And if you if you don't treat it that way, at some point, uh, you know, you'll be rugged, that relationship will be abused or whatever. And so, you know, yeah, does it normalize it? Does it get it into more people's hands? Does it pump, you know, hodlers bags? Yes. But does it set up a big, you know, rug pull in the future? Probably. Is it still a net benefit because of the former? Maybe, you know, so I, I'm I'm not really sure how I feel about it. I just stress what you said, which is, look, yeah. uh, educate yourself and take self-custody because that's the whole reason why this thing is special. And it's the whole reason why it has value, right? The the If I can, a lot of people will take issue with using this term so kind of willy-nilly, but the whole reason why Bitcoin has value is because people are using it to have a form of property and to engage in certain behaviors or activities or property relations that are not on offer and not available everywhere else. And so, yes, you're funneling capital into it by buying an ETF, but like the ETF itself is kind of, 
uh, freeloading off the value that's created by people leveraging it for its unique attributes. And so, you know, yeah. I, I think that there's a fundamental dichotomy there and it, it will result in pain if people become complacent. And, you know, again, I think most people aren't motivated to change their behavior until there's a reason to. And if everything's going fine with ETF, they probably won't, at least a huge percentage of them. And then someday they get rugged and, you know, we're in another bear market having the same conversation five years from now or, yeah. having, you know, the whole, the whole crypto meltdown conversation. No, I agree. And, and, you know, I, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think the, you know, I think a couple of things, I think one, you know, if, if Bitcoin is going to become global adoption, you know, nation state level adoption, company adoption, like the ETFs are going to come, whether it's, you know, tomorrow and in five years, whatever, we're going to have them. And as long as we're still educating, as long as we're still showing people what happens to the people that are taking their money off exchanges, that, that do keep them in self-custody, and we're able to explain and show in the past what has happened, like the big CFI centralized finance implosions of Celsius and Voyager and BlockFi and FTX and all of these, you know, even if something bad happens or when something bad happens to the ETF, like we're still here. And hopefully because of the excitement of the ETF, more people have taken into self-custody. Mm -hmm. Maybe things have also gotten distributed uh, even a little bit more. Um, maybe the people that are sticking way too much in their ETF, you know, deserve a lesson because they're not listening or they're not looking deeper because they're they're simply well let me put it this way i mean it's like and this might be getting too deep but like what's the what's the difference between someone who puts five percent of that five million let's say passively into a bitcoin etf and Something, something happens with the managers and it's not fully held in trust. Something happens and they, they lose their Bitcoin or it goes way down uh, or they lose access to it. Um, what's the difference between that and then 5% putting into these zombie companies that really don't deserve the money that should fail. So we're sort of like corrupting capitalism and the smaller people that should be having these companies that are having to work hard to uh, learn how to be productive and effectual so they can give a good product for good value. Do you know what I mean? Like you, I do you know what you mean. I think the yeah. answer is the Bitcoin ETF is better broad strokes for collective, if we can use that nebulous term. Yeah. But the the holder still gets fucked either way. You know, like whether right. they invest into a shitty, you know, whatever equity in a shitty startup or something that goes to 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 zero, or they get rugged on their ETF. I mean, the, the same is true for them. But I take your point that maybe in in the latter, the ETF example, there's some auxiliary beneficial outcomes yeah. or, or more beneficial outcomes than, than the other case. But again, then we're just in this, you know, kind of right. never ending space of rationalizing different outcomes based on whatever, which is why I think generally speaking, it's best to go on, on principle. But yeah. like you said, there's no stopping it. I mean, it's obviously going to happen. And until, I mean, you show me a Bitcoiner who hasn't learned the hard way. There aren't many. You know, most well, most people have to learn the hard way. They lose coins. They invest in shit coins. They trade. They do all these things that wind up teaching them a hard le lesson, wherein they realize the wisdom of stay humble, stack sets. But usually that lesson is not one you can just read about because the greed absolutely. and all that stuff just, you know, contorts you until you succumb to it 
and then the pain tells you, oh, I, I fucked up. I shouldn't have succumbed to it. And then interestingly, as with perhaps all pain, it forces you to reassess yourself. It forces you to reassess. Sure. And we get, there's, there's, you know, as we were saying before, this element of introspection seems to be very, uh, seems to be, you know, indexed very highly in Bitcoin, wherein people then say like, who, who was I that succumbed to that greed? Why yeah. was I that person that succumbed to the, that greed? How do I become a person that transcends that type of greed? And, you know, you know, on and on, you go down the sort of personal development path that you alluded to when we just started, you know? And I think that's a good reminder, you know, related a little bit to the BlackRock thing too, that, you know, as much as we can educate and warn other people, they, they sometimes have to learn the hard way. I feel, I feel like that's part of the orange pilling experience. I mean, I, I don't know your personal backstory, but I think I've heard on some podcasts before at some point you had altcoins or crypto too. I think there's very few people, maybe Michael Saylor is the only one that, you know, that I even know of that didn't buy a bunch of crypto at first. And maybe that's because he came in in 2020, you know, I, yeah, I was in yeah. 2017. I don't know when you were, but um, everyone yeah, dabbled like, in 2017. Come on. We, right. I, it's just like, <laughs> what are these things? And I didn't know. And I thought I knew what Bitcoin was, but I didn't. I didn't understand at all because if I did, if you understand Bitcoin, you would not touch anything else. There's, there's no yeah. reason to. Um, well, I so think maybe part of, for, people for, need to for, get wrecked. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But for a lot of people, it was. I mean, you. I think you make the point, and I agree that if you really understand Bitcoin, you you don't ever even think of touching anything else. Anything else. And so this kind of speaks to my own progression of you know going further down the rabbit hole and appreciating it more and all that kind of stuff. But even in 2017. I wasn't like, oh, I wonder if any of this is going to replace Bitcoin. Not at all. I was just like, I can probably get more Bitcoin if I play this right. But that's what it was, know, right? You're that's the stay humble part. Yeah, yeah, that's the stay <laughs> humble part where it's like, yeah, sure, bro. Like, you know, go for it. But 99% of people are going to wind up with less Bitcoin for that reason. So stay humble, create value, stack sats. And I mean, it's a beautiful message for our time because you might characterize, you know, the current era we're in, the fiat hopefully the apex of, of fiat or the end stages of fiat as being the opposite of that, right? It's like uh, aggrandize the self, you know, flaunt your wealth everywhere and spend all that as much as possible. It's the exact opposite. And I mean, what do we need? But it's, you know, everything in the world seems like it's upside down today. So we need something that is the inverse of what's been producing that. And that would seem to be Bitcoin. Right. Yeah, it's like... We don't need a, another rap video with dollars flying around <laughs> a Lamborghini and, you know, it's like, what, what's, the, what message is that sending? And then you like dig, by, I, I think, I think it was 50 cent or something. They were involved in some lawsuit, some business dispute. And I loved it because I was sort of reading through the documents and, you know, people were saying like, oh, he has all this money. He can pay this thing, blah, blah, blah. And then 50 cent or Curtis, whatever his real name is, was saying, no, I, I, I got this money from my friend's bank. We put it back in. I rented this car. I did, like it was all just for show, like just mm. broadcasting, you know, who we need. Anyways, I just, I, I find well, a lot of that interesting that the fiat world makes people do that, that they think they need to flex. But Absolutely. Well, this, this goes back to the initial part of the discussion, which was because we were talking about how Bitcoin changes people and changes your perception and stuff. Um, but I think part of the reason, you know, this ties into a lot of stuff, part of the reason why it's tough for people to get it, why they don't see the value immediately, why they don't 
do the, you know, pursue it correctly initially while they try to get away with one by having it on ETF or trading shit coins or trading Bitcoin or whatever. It's because they just, they don't realize how fundamental it is. But like, you know, an example that I often use is if you were born into an Amazonian tribe, if either of us, we were taken from birth, right? We we're same parents genetically, but day one, we're in some hundred person remote Amazonian tribe. We'd be totally different, right? We just, our preferences would be different. The food we like, I mean, the language we speak, yeah. I mean, it's everything. And um, as you say, outline in your book, and as we discuss often in, in Bitcoin land, you know, money is the, you know, to use that fish example, money is the water that you're swimming in. You don't really notice it, but it's everywhere right. and it's exerting what its effect water? everywhere. Yeah. And so, and, and all of those, so let's say that, you know, all those signals that the money is transmitting, coordinating, all that kind of stuff, when that those signals are distorted, right? Because the information and the money is distorted or it's constantly changing. That send and of course, all the institutions and businesses and organizations that then, you know, uh, emerge from that distortion as kind of like cancers, basically, metastases of 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 these of these distortions and perversions. Um, that's the environment that we all have grown up in, or at least speaking in the, you know, the Western developed world, let's say. Yeah. And so those are the signals that we've used to construct ourselves. And I mean, it, it's all, it's, it's almost a miracle that some of us have been able to kind of poke our heads up out of it or somehow broke through that to some degree to say, oh shit, like, this is this is all wrong. Like all these signals have created just a a, a dystopian nightmare almost. And I yeah. you know I hesitate to use that type of language because there's so much beauty in the world. There's beautiful places, people, experiences, and all that kind of stuff. But I think we all know that something is fundamentally wrong. Or listening to this conversation, at least. And well, yeah, when everyone can't own a house, just a, a house to live in, you know, right. there's something wrong. But we're, I, I guess my point is like, because of that, we've, you know, even us who think we're so, you know, quote unquote, aware of all those signals that we've used to construct our identity and the conditioning we've been exposed to and all that kind of stuff. We're obviously not aware of all of it. We, we, we certainly have our blind spots. We have those deeply ingrained preferences and stuff that we can't just on a whim change because we decide to, you know, how, how do you, how do you intentionally change a belief? How do you intentionally change a preference? It's not that easy. You know, it's, in, in fact, and again, I think this goes back to truth, because I would think that the, the only real way to do it is to try to determine what the truth of that thing is, so that you can't really argue with it. And then it, a new belief or preference emerges within you as a result. But point being is that we have those distorted signals within the, the fiat system, and people have constructed identities as a result of those signals. Because another element of this is we like to think we're individuals in culture, but we're basically amalgams of you know, consciousness is like a, a relationship between the two, you know, and this is why you're a different person. If you grew up in the Amazon versus you grow up in LA, because you're, right. you use culture to construct your identity, to uh, achieve sanity, to figure out what the contours and the parameters of your actions should be. And so when they're distorted, they're, they're, inevitably integrated into who you are and, and your perspective and how you see the world. And if we're making the case that Bitcoin is going to, well, is a means of coordinating those value-laden economic transactions 
without distortion, hopefully that means that we're going to be able to construct identities based on a far greater approximation of what we might call truth. And back to our earlier point, I think this is we we a lot of us sense that, even though, as you say, we're not it, we're not swimming in the the water of Bitcoin yet because it's still such a it's just a little right. puddle, not an ocean. But we sense that. And so we're kind of preempting that by really seeking truth in all those different areas, even advance of Bitcoin bringing truthful signals to those areas. But the reason why I feel this is so hard for people is because your identity and your sanity is sacrosanct. I mean, it's really holy. I mean, it's it's how you see the world and how you have some semblance of comfort in navigating through the chaos of it all. And when something right. comes along and shakes your faith, basically, when it when it like threatens that secure, comfortable perspective that you've constructed, both passively and actively, it's seen as a threat. Not because anything inherent about it, because you're almost too afraid to look at what its inherent nature is, but it's seen yeah. as a threat because it's different and it's threatening the, you know, the security and comfort that you have on your perspective. And I mean, I think that's so much of the reason why there's so much pushback on it and so and such an unwillingness to even, you know, scratch beneath the surface is because in this and again, I think this is amplified by the fiat era we live in, the more things descend into out of control, chaos, perversion, distortion, the more anxious people get about that perspective that's holding it all together. Because it, yeah. it's, it's almost like you need it even more than you otherwise might because the chaos is is encroaching even further. And this thing that you have, you know, an amount, all those signals and the cultural conditioning and what the government says and what the corporations say and what your social group is doing and all these sorts of things just give you some semblance of, okay, these are the parameters that are safe. And I'm just going to stay on that path because off that path is scary land. And I'm, you know, and I'm not, right. I'm not capable of confronting that. So I'm going to stay right. on the, the well-beaten path. And, you know, Bitcoiners are at least one of their character traits, I would say, that's, again, highly indexed is disagreeableness and courage and skepticism that allows them to say, even though it's daunting and scary for a lot of them in the initial stages, I want to see what's on the other path. I want to see, you know, what's not on the well-beaten path. And I think the primary reason they do that ab above all else is back to that, what we were saying about the faith in truth. It's like, okay, I get it. Like, yeah, yes, this perspective is operable for fiat world. But is that the most truthful perspective? And is fiat world the most, you know, truthful thing we can have? And I think the only way you can discern truth in that landscape is reconstructing it from first principles, you know, from yes. principles and values and virtues that are basically eternal, whether you want to call them religious or traditional or whatever, foundational. And so you use them to then orient your perspective and your behavior. And I think a lot of people are finding out that when you do that, it, it um, produces a perspective that's highly critical of the fiat perspective in the fiat world, or at a minimum is far more capable at, of apprehending and, and observing its faults. And therefore it only instigates further your quest for a solution. And then once you go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, you're like, Oh, this 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 is oh, it. Wow. way more than I even thought possible, and of yeah. course, it just feeds on itself after that. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I love what you just said. It's, it's asking people to just unplug and, you know, lift their head up over the other side of the mountain and say, look, this is what's really going on. Like you're in the Truman show here, but these few, these seven people here are pulling these levers. And so you make them question all of their past actions and decisions and People want confirmation bias that they've made right, the right, right decisions, that they went to the right school, chose the right partner, invested in the right things. And, you know, I, I look back, you know, through a period of time where I, I flipped um, six or seven houses, right? Like right when I first got into real estate, every two years, bought, fixed, sold, bought, fixed, sold, bought, fixed, sold. And I'm like, I, I'm amazing. I am so good at watching YouTube videos and fixing anything myself and making all this money. I even set up a little website and I was like, oh, this is my real estate journey. But, you know, years later, it's like I sort of did the math and I was looking at the real estate market and it's like, no, I, I was no I was no hero. I mean, maybe a few more people came to the open house. Maybe I got a little bit extra at the sale, but there were just more units in the system. That's just what the houses cost. Like the utility hadn't gone up, mm. but I didn't want to accept that because that then what you were just talking about, it tackles everything that I thought I did in seeking peak performance to do this and how to be more effectual at, 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 at the house game. And, you know, and that's when I went and got my broker's license. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to hack this even more. I'm going to buy and sell my own houses at the same time. I'm going to write my own mortgages. Um, and, you know, and then I got into real estate finance. But I, I like to think that that's my hero's journey. I'm, and I'm this hero. But I also can look back and say, well, this, this was the fiat game. And, and I didn't know. And it wasn't until Bitcoin that I realized, oh, I'm in, I'm in the Truman Show and I'm doing the best I can with what's here on stage and the actors that they put around me mm -hmm. and what I can see. But I have, to, I, you know, I have to unplug or I forget what Jim Carrey did. He went past the pier on the water, like, or, oh, he left the dome, whatever it was, um, to see what's really going on and to seek the truth. Um, Bitcoin really is sort of a like a, a hand out to people saying come let me show you the truth and i hate to sound like too religious or too woo woo you know but it kind of is um, don't worry you're 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 on the right podcast so okay good okay. we'll allow it <laughs> yeah um and so you know so like i wrote a book right before my current bitcoin book that was total Leverage, arbitrage, major fiat mind, like it was all about real estate strategies, you know, bridge loans, fractional lending, you know, and, and a long time ago, I, I was a hard money lender, like on Craigslist when Craigslist started. And, you know, because I didn't, I, I didn't know any better. And I was just like, you know, how do I, how do I, I have this money? How do I make more money? How do I make more? How do I make more money? And I look back and it was so scary. And there were like lawsuits and I was running to court and suing people and people weren't paying me back. And, and it just got kind of, it kind of scary. And, you know, I just thought, you know, this isn't the way. And once again, I couldn't trust anybody. People completely lied to me all the time. Even the collateral that they gave me, if it was physical, ended up being fake. Um, this is a gold coin. Okay. I don't, I don't know. And I'm not an alchemist and I, I'm not going to go <laughs> melt it and have it remelted and lose all, you know? Right. So, You know, the hero's journey is is something that like we and, you know, a big part of my one of the avatars I wear is in Hollywood. And the hero's journey is something that is just the best format for just about every 
film or TV show. And as creative as you want to be, it, 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 they, no real good story really ever deviates from the hero's journey. In fact, if you find a movie that you don't like or a TV show that you, have to, you lose interest, I guarantee you they're skipping one of the steps. Like mm. you have to have those steps. And I have to remind myself of that when I'm trying to orange pill someone or I'm seeing someone's own journey into Bitcoin that they can't just be like, oh, wow, money's broken. This is superior technology. Wow, it's like the internet of money and boom, they just accept it. They have to sort of have that reticence to cross the threshold, right? They need to meet the mentor. They, they have to go through those trials and tribulations and mm-hmm. blah, 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 before they can be re- resurrected and bring back you know, the elixir to their ordinary worlds, so to speak. And it just helps me because earlier on when I was learning about Bitcoin, I was like some Bitcoiners that I see on Twitter where I was like, no, 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 you suck, do this. This is the right way, that's the wrong way. What is wrong with you? And it's like that, maybe that works for some people, but that it, I was like, that's, that's not the way. And so, you know, with my book, I tried to just outline what I thought most people in my circles, most normal people that were still smart, that had some stocks, maybe had some real estate, um, even some people that are, fairly well-to-do, have their own businesses, they just still, they were still blind to it all. And they are apparently making all of these smart moves. But like you said, they didn't know the truth. It was their, it was the fiat truth, right? Which So it's a false narrative. And I wanted to be able to say, no, you don't understand what money printing is. You don't understand monetary history. You need to understand how money's broken, how it's not capturing your time. It's devaluing and debasing and diluting everything that you know. And here's why, and just trying to lay it out. Because you know, we all say this, but until people can understand the problem, they're not going to see Bitcoin as a solution, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a tool. Hey, here's a hammer. Well, great. I don't have any nails. Why do I need a hammer for? But it's like, ah, you do have nails. You just don't see them. Mm-hmm. And and this is all stuff you know, but it's just, it. I, Bitcoin is amazing to me because I never stop questioning better ways to explain it to people, but also to tackle it in a way that they understand where they come from, right? Are you a real estate bro? Great. I can 100% convince you to get into Bitcoin, even if it starts out with NGU, you know, and I don't have to talk about, you know, the whole monetary premium versus the utility, just like it's a superior form of real estate, full stop, scarce, durable, you know, all that stuff, you know, or do you care about the environment? Great. You care about the environment? Like, well, don't listen to Senator Warren. Like, let me explain the facts to you. You know, and I know she's super smart, but she's a politician. I mean, she's just, I think she's just flat out lying because here's the facts. Here's how it eats up methane. Here's how it caps CO2. Here's how it's mm-hmm. helping all these other countries and bringing energy to where it doesn't exist. And um, there's so many pockets, which are great with Bitcoin, which most people don't know. They look at it. Oh, it's a, it's an internet stock. How can I buy it and just make some money? But it's, but a lot of people that don't care about that. Like I have friends that I've tried to convince about Bitcoin. Like, you know, what? I don't really care about money. I have enough money. But then it's like, okay, well, do you care about the environment? Do you care about immigration? You know, half the immigration problem could be solved. They, they don't need to flee their countries and come into our country mm. if their money is more pure, if they have more freedom and they're not oppressed and sanctioned from trying to make decisions. Um, I don't know. I'm jumping all over the place, but it's no, like I, that. I, it, I totally it, agree. Yeah, it's, I, it's just it never amazes me. Like when I talk to someone and I, and I want to try to insert Bitcoin in the conversation, I try to find what's their pain point. You know, what's something they're passionate about? And I try to see how, you know, Bitcoin can align with that. Sure. I mean, that's that's very practical and sensible. I, I think a lot of, and, you know, everyone 
takes the approach that they're most comfortable with. Um, but I think more and more people are kind of realizing, I mean, what, when you're confronting a paradigm shift and or trying to explain a paradigm shift, boy, like persuasion <laughs> is basically impossible. Like you can, you can get people to take a runner on you because they trust you. Basically a good friend will be like, look, man, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but <laughs> I, I like you and I, and I know you're a good guy and I've trusted you forever. So I'll do what you say and we'll see how it goes. You know, that's, but it's back to this idea, this, this kind of dynamic of how your perception is actually construed. And it's like, it's really hard to just go from here to there in a conversation yeah. where you're trying to persuade someone. And that's why, as you say, it is very much a hero's journey. You know, like you, you feel a little bit of the call and then you're on the journey and then there's ups and downs and then there's redemption and then you come back and you finally, you know, ascend to your proper place, whatever it may be. But, um, it's just so hard. And I, but what I think is great about what seems to be happening is I think more and more because you, you get in and when, when you see the light, right, when the penny drops, you're just like, oh, my God. And of course, you want to tell everyone that you love and care about because you see this as, broadly speaking, such a powerful force for good. And you're, you, you know, you're in, in, in excited and enthusiastic. You're like, no, get in the art. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But then I, I, once you're met with a little bit of, you know, perhaps failure, resistance, you, you, you know, frustration at, at how hard it is to persuade people, I think you end up coming to the conclusion, or at least I've seen a lot of people do this, that the best persuasion is just showcasing why this thing is so good. You know, like I, I, I the first big rabbit hole I went down was psychedelics. And uh, I, I was like, I, I just, when I had my first actual experience, I just couldn't believe that this experience was available and possible and, and, and so pure itself and pristine and truthful. I mean, a lot of overlaps between Bitcoin and psychedelics that are very fascinating, but suffice it to say, I, like I came out of that and I was like, you know, as so many do, how is this not on the front page, new page of every newspaper in the world? Like this morning, it's, it's, it's that kind of of a departure from what you think yeah. is possible and what's available, but you show up at the next social event and you corner someone in the, you know, when you're having cocktails or someone and you, you try to, you know, you try to say that to them and you just come off as a crazy person, you know? And so right. with that also, the best approach was, well, if it's so good, if it really is as good as you are saying it is, then shouldn't it show up in some capacity in your life? Right? Shouldn't it show mm -hmm. up in, in all the different metrics that people generally agree are like constituents of a healthy, successful, productive life? Don't you think those things would show up in your life as a result of engaging in this amazingly powerful tool? And I was like, yeah, that's that sounds reasonable to me. And I think the same is true with with Bitcoin. Like, and the yeah. the beautiful thing is, is that seems to be happening. So as we said, as we've been talking about this conversation. People are kind of reassessing, introspecting, you know, kind of rebuilding their life from first principles and their perspective from first principles, changing their ambitions and their career uh, trajectory and all that kind of stuff as a result of this, this thing. And that's great. And then people, more and more people doing that and interacting with one another is creating a genuine parallel culture in addition to parallel markets and economies and that kind of stuff, but a genuine parallel culture. And that's the thing that I see is going to bring in 
the hundreds of millions and, and billions of people ultimately is not everyone reading the Bitcoin standard and being like, oh, man, monetary history is so cool. And Bitcoin is the <laughs> right. next thing. I think they're going to just look at a culture, especially from the vantage point of fiat land and be like, wow, like happy people, healthy people, you know, healthy, strong families, strong individuals, creativity everywhere, exuberance, hope for the future, prosperity, peace. On, on and on down the line and they're going to be like well of course i whatever is the cause of that yeah. i want in on it you yeah. know and that's what i it think markets is going to be itself. yeah exactly exactly and so i think that the again orange pill all you want but i think that the most powerful thing that we can do is just do just our best on. to adhere to the principles that we uncover in our relationship with Bitcoin as as crazy as that might sound to, to outsiders, but, you know, put more simply, 100%. just, you know, be, be the change. And um, if we all kind of commit to doing that, then I think, you know, we win all the battles with the WEF and the governments and the federal reserves and all the enemies that we like to paint the, the, the biggest middle finger to all of them is just living a health, a, a healthy, meaningful, successful, productive, peaceful, prosperous life. And yeah. we don't need to fight any of them to do that. We now have a tool where we can just go go ahead and do that. And they atrophy and die and go away and slip into irrelevance just by virtue of that without any big pitch battle. And isn't that great? Because all the way, you know, all of human history up until 2009, the pitch battle was the only real way to resolve those things ultimately. And now we have a way of creating something different without the pitch battle. So yeah, I'm, we should probably do I, that. <laughs> I agree. Uh, unstoppable. And, and, and that sort of rounds it back to how we started out the conversation where it's like it's the and it's the ultimate self-improvement tool in a way. And for those that don't seek self-improvement, for those who want, you know, to sit on the couch and eat Papa John's and play games in the basement or whatever, it's like, that's fine. They're, they're never going to come over our way anyway. Some people are comfortable not taking risks or getting out of their zone to improve themselves. And I feel like everyone that comes to Bitcoin, even if it was originally number go up technology, it is to improve their lives. And mm. I think it's, I, I see how it's improved a lot of people's lives. It's improved mine. Mm. And if nothing else, it makes us make better decisions and it makes us think more clearly. And also, you know, too much of the fiat world thinks on a, on a short time frame, right? So this lengthens our, you know, um, low time preference, um, which I think is really important. You can always make better decisions when you're thinking long term and not just, you know, sort of gambling. Yeah. Um, well, well, you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned this in your book, which will definitely, I want to talk about. Uh, are you good on time? Yeah, I'm good on time. I was just muting because my dog was barking. Okay. So um, yeah, well, I want to get to your book. But one of the things you say in it, which you know others have said as well, and that should be obvious to everybody, because as much exuberance and excitement as there is for Bitcoin, I mean, it behooves oneself to remember that Bitcoin and money is a means, it's not an end in itself, right? And but it does beg the question with all that excitement, and I think this is part of that exploratory process of kind of that personal development journey that we've been discussing is, well, what's it a means to, or sorry, what's it in what's yeah. What's it a means to like, what is the end? Um, and, you know, we grew up in this fiat system where 
maybe the ends had already been kind of laid out and prearranged, like basically do this and pursue that. And this is what you should be pursuing. And you didn't really have to ask, ask those questions, yeah. or maybe it didn't offer anything that you felt was worthy of your commitment, your full commitment. And therefore you didn't really strive. And therefore maybe your ambition was, was, uh, like, uh, muted to some degree, but now that you have such a powerful means, it can't help but instigate the question within one to say, well, to what? Like, wh what am I really fundamentally trying to build here? And I feel like this is part of the reason why we, we have yeah. these kind of heady philosophical discussions, because it's like, you know, what is an ideal person? Or, you know, and even if that's too broad, what ought I be, what ought I, what, what should I be striving for? you know, and there's a comp, there's a, there's probably a absolute answer to that, like in the realm of eternal virtues, principles, and values, like be an honest person, have integrity, be truthful, all that kind of stuff. And then there's a highly subjective individual version, which is like, well, what are my, my preferences and my aptitudes and how might I apply them optimally toward a meaningful end, whether that's in the artistic realm or the entrepreneurial or the, you know, whatever. Yeah. And um, that's, and part of the reason, you know, we keep talking about this kind of nebulous idea of like fiat land and how there's, it's all relative, you know, and we, maybe we live and maybe one of the ways of characterizing the fiat era is like a moral relativism, right? It's moral if you can get away with it, or if the, or if the fiat authority structure sanctions it, not whether it's, it's grounded in anything more fundamental or eternal. And I think as you, you recapitulate your perspective as we've been discussing and, and you have this tool that allows you to do that, you kind of come to the appreciation that, oh, maybe there are eternal principles. Like maybe there all are like, you know, values or virtues that are like universally good. And there's a reason why they've been elevated different places and times in different forms, philosophy, religion, whatever, throughout human history, because they are so generative toward a good, fulfilling life. And maybe they deserve more attention now. And maybe I might find wisdom in them to integrate into myself and construe my own behavior. And the, the other element that I think is interesting about that is, I think that also instills a sense of humility, because once you realize that there's almost something greater than yourself, again, even if we don't want to go in the religious realm, but you just say these principles or virtues, whether we identify them as truth or integrity or honesty or freedom and on down the line, they're like, they're, they're pre-existing or if they're not pre-existing, they're, they're so fundamental to a fulfilling life that I ought to really figure out how I'm supposed to orient them, integrate them into my perspective. And I, I think even just that, so coming out of the realm of just pure relativism and realizing there is something that is true, true in the sense of absolute, I think that has to kind of instill a sense of humility because now you realize that your own success broadly construed, right? So your own fulfillment, your own search for meaning and that kind of stuff is dependent on these so-called eternal principles. And if so, if you want to have that fulfillment and that meaning and that success, you better pay attention and understand and integrate those things and figure out how you you can best do that. And I, I, I think that's a cause for humility. And I think humility is something, again, that shows up 
um, more and more in, in the people that are, you know, Bitcoiners, broadly speaking. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the, the, the principles and the values that Bitcoin, you know, promotes. And I mean, you just look at even the, the most fundamental things like, like proof of work. And it's like, once people see that it's like, okay, Bitcoin, as opposed to just about everything else out there, including in the fiat world, is based on this proof of work system. And it's like, you know, what does that mean to the individual or to the family or to the person that is sacrificing time, which is all that we really care about? Forget about the, the, the money. It's like our time wallet, right? Nothing's more important. And the proof of work just helps secure our time, carry forward our time, make us value our time better, spend it more wisely. Um, you know, I don't necessarily need to run into a casino and I don't need to waste my time talking to a person I don't care about. Like, you know, you know when to say no, when to cut people out of your life. Like there's lots of these, you know, sort of self-improvement things that boil back down to, you know, proof of work versus, you know, the whole proof of stake system. Mm -hmm. And when when you see that Bitcoin really is this is perfect time and I can be incentivized to contribute my time in a way that I know it's not going to be wasted. I feel like that's valuable. And, you know, like another way to think about it is like, like we know there's only 21 million Bitcoin, right? Maybe there's access to even 17 million Bitcoin because of lost keys and whatnot. So when someone dies, if they've set up this inheritance plan or they got ways to pass their keys, great. And maybe that'll improve in the future. But what about for the people that just die with their Bitcoin, like versus dying with your fiat money that ends up going to the state? Like, what an amazing thing to think that now the tribesmen in Zimbabwe and the person that can't get their money out of Lebanon, like to whatever small percentage my small Bitcoin adds to that, if I die with it, I've now just made theirs that much more valuable. Mm. And so I'm not having to find some like fiat charity that probably is taking 80% of the money anyways, I'm just helping all of us. Like it's, it's the community. And it's just such a, an amazing, wonderful thought to think that, because like the fiat world, oh, you take your money, you, you have your will and you do all this. And, and yes, I get why that's important for your family and, and whatnot, but there's a lot of people that don't have anyone to leave their money to and, or don't need to leave money to anyone. Like what a cool what a cool selfless thing to do to just die with your Bitcoin. Did you hear Sailor talking about that recently? No, no. So we 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 did with a his own uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, not we, with his we, Bitcoin. Yeah, we 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 did a um, uh, in person hodl hang basically with myself and Rob and Hodl and Eric Kaysen, oh. uh in at his just place. Just a few in Miami, no buddies. Yeah, in his place in Miami of like a month ago, and. Um, it came up in the conversation and, you know, he said like exactly what you just said. And we've all oh. kind of had the thought, but it's also like, you know, especially if you have family <laughs> or like, well, wouldn't you, you know, do you want to leave the family and all that kind of stuff? Um, because we all, we all, you know, you always talk about lost coins. And if, you know, some big OG lost 500,000 coins, you're like, oh, well, you know, donation to the rest of us. But um, he said exactly that he was like, and the, the example he used was Rockefeller. And he, he, you know, thinks that, the the, nays the Rockefeller naysayers, you know, 
have a distorted view of him because of what people did with his money after he died. Now, I don't know enough about Rockefeller to, to comment one way or the other on that, whether he was a good guy who got a bad rap or he was kind of a bad guy, you know, whatever. Um, but he said, you know, so Rockefeller endowed all these charities and, you know, all these people did all these things with his money. And basically he lost his agency over the money once he died. And Saylor well, said, you know, wouldn't it be, isn't it preferable to make a pro rata distribution to all those who shared your values and principles when you die, i.e. the other Bitcoin holders, rather yeah. than leaving it to, you know, some degenerate uh, grandkid or cousin who ends up spending it on, you know, hooker and and the hookers and blow or something like that, you know, it, or whatever, or in that charity right. example or whatever, like, and again, if you don't, especially if you don't have like a, a, a big family, uh, right. but even maybe even the case where you don't, as you know, again, personal preferences, you want to make sure, maybe you want to make sure people in sure. your life are taken care of, but for point sure. being is that you retain some agency over your accrued wealth, even after death, whereas you say, you die with a bunch of fiat and one, it just keeps leaking until it's worthless, i.e. the state reappropriates it on you surreptitiously, or, you know, your heirs get it and they blow it all on shit that you would disagree with. That's if right. Di dying with your coins ensures that you are making the, the optimal distribution to people who share your values and principles and who are most likely to devote that capital to causes that you most likely are to be in alignment with or agree with and then you know so he said that and i and then we like kind of moved on that. for a second i was like are you actually considering that and he was like well didn't i just consider it and so we all had a laugh <laughs> that sounds like him it, it's, it's, <laughs> wow. it seems like uh it kind of sounded like that was his plan for his personal wow. stash at least and there again it only it just cements and sort of accentuates uh the values again, because aside from the legacy aspect, what about the people that just um, don't learn about self-custody, right? Or, or what about the people that do but are very sloppy and they lose their Bitcoin? Well, mm -hmm. they've just made a donation and, you know, okay, that first sucks. But then, like you said before, what can I learn from this? How can I move on? Well, you need to learn to be more self-reliant. You need to not be a dumbass. You need to be smart. You need to educate yourself. Self-custody is important. I know it's clunky, but you know you learned how to drive a car. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is your money. This represents all of your past time, your academics, your experience, everything that you've gone through up till this point in time. That's what Bitcoin is. And you don't think about it that way because you have this fiat and it just, it's, it, it's paper and you need more of it. It doesn't mean anything, but yeah. think about it. When it suddenly means something, maybe you'll, you'll think again. And the thing that sucks is when I even talk to people about values like this, they'll be like, well, even with Sil Silvergate and Silicon Valley and First Republic, like, you know, I didn't lose any money. I don't know anybody. They, they all got it back. And it's like, yeah, but the government just had to print more money. And now you're going to just end up paying more later on. So it's like you didn't get it back, but you just you're not seeing the effects right away. Right. It's a slow bleed. It's a melting ice cube. Or or also, you know. Um, they've just shifted it to people who can less bear the burden because as you know, everybody knows the people that oh, are right. affected most by inflation are the, the cash holders, the and cash earners. earners, right. And the people that are insulated to some degree are the asset holders. And so, you know, if you're a, a depositor at one of those places, presumably you, you know, you're kind of in the asset holder class and yeah. um, so, okay, the FDIC or whomever bails out for 300 billion, 
And the people that get hurt the most are, again, the people with cash savings. And how do you feel, Mr. Upper Middle Class, that you're just shifting the burden for your own negligence, basically, for your own stupidity on somebody else? And, you know, the, 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 re the most people are just going to be like, well, out of sight, out of mind, calm your tits, bro. That's exactly like, it. You know, don't, don't, don't put yeah. that moral shit on me. Like, you know, the world's not perfect and, you know, calm yep. yourself down. Which of course, you know, that's an expected response in the, in this system. But again, like, I think we're moving in. I think the Bitcoin, a hyper Bitcoinized world, will be a far more ethical and moral uh, world, and have more as we've been discussing. And hundred percent, I think it's fair to consider those things. And then the interesting discussions, as far as I'm concerned, is where do you draw those ethical lines? Because life is a chaos, and there's not often easy answers. So when you're confronted with these situations where, I mean, you could you could make the case that every action has an ethical, ethical or moral component, but when it's very obvious, you might say like, what is the right thing to do there? Well, I'm not going to give back my fucking, you know, my, my bailout for my deposit, but, you know, so it, it's, right. it's tricky. And, you know, this also, to your point earlier, invokes like kind of religious conversations because it's like what ideal are you uh, are you adhering to or sub subordinating yourself to the most like you right. know what would jesus do sort of thing well jesus right. might say my bad i left my money in that bank i didn't do the proper due diligence i should have had my savings in bitcoin so fdic you know take that and give it to somebody else or whatever uh right would that be the the most ethical or moral action to take there i don't know but like i think i think that those types of questions and and conversations are going to be hopefully more prevalent in this era yeah. we're moving into because i think they're of the utmost importance yeah i mean it's why i try to to talk to people from a real estate perspective a lot like knowing that like most of the world's wealth right i think it's 325 trillion dollars you know of the 800 or 900 trillion bucket is in real estate right there's more in real estate globally than anywhere else and i don't know where we're going you know in the economy right now and i am you know word on the street is that commercial real estate is going to start to have a tough time especially with interest rates and a lot of these short-term mortgages are are becoming due um so, you know, ethically, it's like, okay, so, you know, all of the people that own income property, so forget about your own house, I get it, have your house, it's your sovereign place, you can do what you want with it. But like, for all the people that want these income properties, like, do you really want an income property? Do, do you just like to say, like, I had a place in Palm Springs, Nashville, Austin, and Joshua Tree all at the same time. And I liked saying, I like feeling like, <laughs> oh, I have these places, it was fun. But yeah. did I get to like go to them all the time? Did I get to use them? Like, no, because I was monetizing them. I was Airbnb in them or I had tenants. And it's like, so I, you know, I had to ask myself, do, do I really want the real estate or do I just want the money that the real estate's giving me? You know, which is why I've since sold all of those and have gone into superior technology. Right. But, um, I, you know, nowadays, you know, I listen to people like Nat Burnell, you know, and it's like I can hear in between a lot, so many things she says, she, like she wants a house really bad. And I know, you know, she, you know, and I, and I know where the millennials are and it's houses are just in, in the cost of houses are just insane, you know, com compared to what the the income rates are. And especially with the interest rates today, it's just it's just not going to happen for a lot of people. But 
speaking about ethics, it's like, okay, so you're a real estate person and you're buying all these other things just because you want the money from it. Are you okay that you're raising the price on the people that want one house for a utility? And like you just said, they're going to be like, yeah, whatever, out of sight, out of mind. Like, uh, you know, I can't, I can't be worried about that. And I get it because we're all in this game. We've all been thrown on this field with this set of rules that are distorted. And so we're playing the best we can. Mm-hmm. But, you know, now comes this Bitcoin referee and it's like, you know, if it's really just the money you want and you can get away from the label, what a label says about you or what owning this house says about you, like, why not go to, to Bitcoin? Why, why worry about all of this maintenance and something that really isn't scarce and something that really does depreciate the value of it should actually go down the right. wood, the walls, all that. That's all aging. Um, yeah. And, well, that's just, and I don't how... fault those people in a system that we're stuck in, but you know, I, I think when you start to talk about to some people, especially who can't afford it, you know, I have people, cause you know, I'm also a mortgage broker. So I have people call me all the time. Like, Oh, I want a loan for this. I'm going to get a house here. I'm going to get a house there. And, some of these people just can't afford houses. I'm like, look, you're like two years away looking at your records and income and stuff. It's like, have you looked into Bitcoin land? There's only 21 million houses. It's really scarce. <laughs> They're selling these million dollar houses for what, 30 grand today? Right. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you say in your book, um, and again, this is one of the prime motivators for people to be interested in Bitcoin is that it delivers a type of freedom that wasn't historic hasn't is unprecedented basically and in a few ways we referenced ngu before and and financial you know access to capital is a type of freedom right because gives you optionality and that kind of stuff but it's also to your point with the real estate investors it's like do you want five houses and property taxes and tenant issues and upkeep and renovations and blah 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 bills and all that stuff or do you want a type of property that's literally just information in your head it's probably appreciating more quickly. So you're not, you know, losing out on the optionality front and you can, I mean, the, the, one of the crazy intoxicating things about Bitcoin to me is just like, you can, to use sailor's term, dematerialize your life basically and put it into an informational form. And then just like, the, the type of freedom that that allows you to feel again, it's just completely unprecedented, you know, to, to not, you, you could live a life and I'm fairly close to it at the moment where you're completely untethered from almost everything, you know, third party stewards of your wealth or brick and mortar, you know, things that are whatever, like you can dematerialize it all so that you can go wherever, whenever you want. And pop, you pop out at the other side and have that optionality available to you. And on you go, on you go pursuing whatever it is that's meaningful for you. And that type of freedom or optionality or whatever we want to call it has just never, ever been available to people. And so, you know, I just think that's another one that when people really grasp it, when they can all their accrued work and investments and whatever, when they can condense it down into 12 words, into information, and then just deploy it wherever and whenever they, they want, you know, again, at the current state of adoption and, and stuff a little, maybe you have to jump through a few hoops depending on where you are and that kind of stuff. But point being is, as you've yeah. turned all of your capital into information that you are the only, you know, one who controls, and now you have complete freedom to do with that as you please and leverage that to, you know, execute on whatever ambitions you might have. And it's like, I think most people even don't really appreciate just how profound that is. Maybe even, you know, 
even yeah. hardcore Bitcoiners. Yeah, it's like it, it democratizes value, right? It's like we finally, you know, it's like where like the internet sort of did that, right? For a lot of things for us with video and libraries and newspapers and all this stuff, but it, it, it didn't do that for money. And to be able to do that for money in a democratized, like I don't know if the internet is truly decentralized. I feel like there's four people somewhere can shut it down if they had, to. like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know, but for the most part, for basic understanding, it's, it's democratized. It's, it democratized information, but it didn't democratize value. And whether that's personal value, you know, fiat value, like it, the fact that we can do that. And again, going back to real estate, it's like, you know, with real estate, you're limited, you're stuck in this zip code and you're stuck to codes and you're stuck, you know, and it, it's a storage unit, but oh, wait, now I want it to be an apartment building. Now I want it to be uh, an Airbnb, like in, in Bitcoin land, quote unquote, that piece of real estate can be whatever you want. You can build on it. You can move it, take it up to space, you know, and and the reason I keep going back to that, as simple as it sounds, like there is so much fiat money in real estate that I just feel if a fraction of that can start to move over to Bitcoin for the people that really don't care. And you know, a lot of people I ask them, I'd be like, do you really, really care about real estate? Do you really want to be a landlord? And it's like, no, they, they really right. don't. But that's been the flex. I grew mm. up with that's been the flex, get into real estate. You know, they're not making any more of it, but, but they are. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, have you seen these um, NFC rings that you can load up with Bitcoin and just kind of wave your yeah, hand over a tap. POS or something? That's pretty I cool. I mean, just imagine all of your worldly wealth is on. So all of those homes, all of your brokerage accounts, all of your gold that's in a safe somewhere, instead of all those places, it's here and you can spend a tiny fraction of it or the, you know, you can spend, uh, the the driveway of your house or a brick on the walkway or the whole thing right. depending on what you want and it's all just here on you all you guys to wave your magic hand right just like it's it's it we're in the realm of wizards yeah. and magic and lord of the rings because it's so <laughs> right. it's so crazy and so you can have and you don't lose anything with that i mean literally not only because you custody it but whatever that wealth is around your finger and of course you know you don't have all of it in a hot wall immediately spendable but the sure the, the point remains um you know you you can just that Go it's anywhere. still yeah and and it's still accruing value for you. you're still getting right. that that increased optionality that ngu even though it's in such a magical format you know and i again i think when people really grasp that one of the rebuttals that when when they grasp it they'll they'll be very <laughs> excited about it one of the rebuttals is is often yeah well everyone can't just hodl right you need economic activity and of course but at this stage in in the cycle i think the you know the name of the game is trans you know like transforming your assets into bitcoin yeah um and then so i think there'll be this great sucking out right and i don't know how long yeah. this is going to take 10 years or 100 years or whatever but all that monetary premium on homes on art on whatever else yeah. that gets sucked into bitcoin and then when you know people with capital look out on the world and homes are affordable to build and they're used for their utility function. And as you say, they yep. most likely do depreciate rather than appreciate for that reason. Then 
they'll, they'll probably be they'll, like, that's a worthwhile use of capital to build those things. And if we live in a hyper Bitcoinized world, you know, because again, the haters are always like, well, you know, if, if Bitcoin's going up 5% a year, no one's ever going to build anything and you won't have any economic activity. It's like, do you not, where is the 5% appreciation in Bitcoin yeah, coming from my yeah. friend? Like it, it must <laughs> right. be coming from the economic activity if, if everything is priced in Bitcoin. Uh, but nevertheless, I, you know, so I, th I think that's what, you know, the name of the game is Bitcoin sucking in the monetary premium. Yeah. And then once that, you know, of course it won't, it's not a, not a binary decision, but like, that'll be the trend. Right. And then the trend will be, oh, now that the monetary premium has been sucked off, <laughs> Wrong, uh, wrong, wrong uh, terminology, but suck rewind. out of the world, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. People will be like, yeah, now it makes sense to deploy capital to build because you're actually building things for their utility or for, for their productive capacity. And that, that's that right. makes, that's a lot more rational, you know? That's right. And I actually differ a from a lot of Bitcoiners in what you just said in that, you know, bit, I mean, Bitcoin isn't, a full medium of exchange yet. And I know it would be great if we were in a circular economy and spending and stuff. And maybe it's semantics, but it's like, I sort of put currency in a bucket and I put money in a bucket and, you know, money has to be a store of value, right? It has to capture your time. It has to carry it forward. It has to be there for you when you need to access it. It doesn't have to be an everyday spend thing. I don't believe that. And now I think we're going to get there, but too many people discount Bitcoin or stick their nose up to it because they're like, oh, well, what can I buy with it? I can't buy anything with it. Well, it's like, well, what can you buy with your gold bar? What can you buy with your houses? What, right. what can you buy with your stock? Like right now you can't, but let's call it money. Let's call it like it's hard, solid, sound money. Use whatever the fiat you have to in, in, in the currency until we can start to have better systems. And we are, of course, with Lightning and other side chains. I, I feel like it's, gonna, it's going to get there, but you know, we're just not there yet. We're just early. We're very sure, early. Sure. Well, I mean, as with internet, as with email, as with cars, I mean, all of the nothing, these technologies don't come out fully formed, of course, you know, they, that's right. They come out very imperfect. And then as more people are, you know, demand them, then there's the, the incentive for them to be improved and they are improved. And, you know, so I, I totally agree with that. Uh, but also those haters just don't back to that ring example. I mean, if I wanted to walk into a restaurant and pay with a fraction of my house, the infrastructure has to be pretty <laughs> sophisticated for me to do that if it's at all possible. Right. But if I want, if, if a coffee shop wanted to accept Bitcoin, it's as simple as downloading an app on, on the, the phone of a man, the manager or the waitress or the owner or whatever. And I can just come in and magic finger them. <laughs> Fuck, I'm not too good with these. Uh... <laughs> What's with <what> your... <laughs> You got magic on the magic <laughs> Jedi mind trick them, let's say Jedi mind trick them, um, and 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 then I've paid for the coffee or the sandwich or whatever it is, you know. And so I, I of course, it's not uh, evenly distributed right now. But the the fact is, is it is if anybody wanted to, like to any business in the world that wanted to accept Bitcoin, there's pretty easy solutions available right now, and only more and more every day. And so. All those haters, you know, the, the, you can't buy a coffee with the people, uh, you know, I think yeah. one day they're just going to wake up and be like, how did you just pay for that? And you'll be like, well, yeah. I just Jed Jedi mind trick the POS and you know, That's it's paid right. for let's, le let's leave. That's right. Um, tell me about, uh, the process of writing the book. I, I read a few chapters of it. I haven't finished it yet, but what I, and I will, because I, I have been really enjoying it, really enjoying it thus far. 
I like how it's it's written. It's kind of there's not much fat on it, if I can put it that way. It's written very yeah. like this. It's like short sentences strung, many of them strung. To, it's almost like a lot of statements rather than like a narrative sort of book. And uh, I appreciate it because all those statements are are informationally dense, let's say. And um, I'm enjoying the framing and I'm, you know, you clearly have done your research because, you know, every line or, you know, every paragraph I read, I'm like, oh, I know where that insight came from, or I know where that insight or that insight. Yeah. Um, so it's great. What was the process like writing the book? Um, you said a little bit about your motivations. What I'm, I'm really interested in is just kind of how you went the about physical it. physical process. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know, by the way, you're writing a book right now and for maybe you're in the editing. Yeah, that's why I, know, I, so. I selfishly ask you. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe it's typical of a lot of other writers, but I do, you know, I, 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 I sort of dump everything all at once. It's, it's like Jordan Peele said, you know, the, the guy that did, uh, you remember from Comedy Central and he did the movie oh, Get yeah. Out. Um, he said, you know, that you've got to just shovel sand into a box, you know, and then later you come back and build the sandcastle. And I spent a couple of months just calling through my favorite resources, the things that that I remembered and were very impactful for me and made me think of specific things like, you know, the, the shareholder letter from Ross Stevens, you know, impossible things before breakfast. Mm -hmm. um, it might've been a podcast from Lynn Alden talking about, you know, gold. Um, there, I just put together about a dozen sources and thought, how can I explain some of these things that, that, to my audience that would make a little bit more sense to them. Because a lot of the, the Bitcoin stuff that I had problems with, and even though my background is in finance and economics and business, was that some of it was just too macro. And, you know, I love listening to people like Greg Foss, but, you know, when he starts talking about credit default swaps, like a lot of people aren't going to get that. Mm -hmm. But if I can explain to people from that, hey, look, some people think that Bitcoin is insurance for this, you know, that's great. You can view it that way. In the book, I say, don't look at Bitcoin as insurance. It's not insurance. It's, it is the thing. It's the superior technology. It's like, you know, when DocuSign came along, I'm like, oh, this is insurance for my fax machine. No, I get rid of the fax machine and I, and I go to that. Mm -hmm. um, can you, uh, can you pause for a sec or just, can you wait? I have to let my dog out. I'm sure, so sure, sorry, sure. John. That's Hang what? on one sec. I'm actually still here. I'll just admire your block clock while you're gone. Yeah. I debate having the price on that. Okay. Um, so my process, my process was, uh, so once I, so this is the way I've done all my three books. Once I dump everything on there and I know it's there, I have to come back as a sculptor. And that's the hard part, as you know, and just sculpt it down. And I just shaved syllables over and over and over again. And mostly because I feel like my job as a writer is to not outsource the responsibility to the reader of having to just go through too much nonsense. And I just wanted to have as much signal as possible um, and so I just thought, you know, with this book, let me try to copyright it as much as I can in a way, um, you know, as if almost I was doing Twitter threads mm -hmm. and 
it's more than that, but it, it, you know, my first book, I talked about me so much and, oh, this is what I was doing in college. And, you know, and it's just like, it, it was a self-improvement book. So it, it was important because it was about me and my journey, but I was like, I don't want this to be about me. I want this to be all purely about Bitcoin. So how do I just get to its essence? What is money printing and how can I explain it with a metaphor? What is inflation and how can I explain it with a metaphor? And that's really what the book is because the people that I, you know, like they say to envision like five or six people when you're writing the book, the people that I was picturing in my mind, like which included like my mom and like a friend. And it's like, like, how am I going to explain to them? They say they know what inflation is, but I don't think people really understand inflation. So, you know, so then I'll write about a pizza and look, there's a pizza and there's 10 spices and you have title to one slice of pizza. That's the whole economy, that pizza. The government comes in. Guess what? They're not putting more pizzas in when they're money printing. There's no new product. There's no new calories. They come in with a slicer. Now we've just made 20 slices. Oh, there's more pizza. Well, but is there? There's no, no productivity was added. You still have title to one slice, but now you have 5% of the network instead of 10%. So now you have to pay two slices to give to that vendor over there that still wanted that amount of calories in that slice. So I know it sounds pedantic or, or I, I, and I don't mean to condescend, but it's like I went through things like that. And, you know, and then I would show figures and, you know, try to get back at a little bit higher level, but so people could start to, I feel like the book is describing the, the problems mm -hmm. um, from different angles, but anyways, my process, it may be not that unique, but I, I, I would dump, I would, I would dump in the mornings and I would then like edit a little bit in the afternoons, dump in the mornings, edit in the afternoons. Um, and then just lots of editing, 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 editing. The part that was hard for me, John, I don't know if you're finding this, but the, our space moved so fast. I was constantly going back and updating. And it's like, you know, even though my book came out last month, it's like up until like publishing date, I was inserting Silvergate and getting all this, you know, these, all the, now all the bank collapses were happening. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just hard to keep up. And there was new information coming out on, on energy and, and mining and, and new data and updated statistics. So, yeah. How At a certain point, I said, from... you know, you got to press send. Sure. Uh, nine months. Nine months. Nice. Well, I, uh, I'm very much looking forward to uh, finishing the rest of it. And for anyone listening who wants to check it out, it's called Proof of Money, right? Available Proof on of Money. Amazon. Yep. The big idea behind Bitcoin. Well, two more things, at least in my mind, before we shut it down. But um, one is just, you know, we talked a lot about how Bitcoin influences changes transforms and you just said you you know some work you'd done i think maybe earlier in life and maybe even now was your own you know personal change and self-help and executive coaching and that kind of stuff and then you've you've also detailed you know how um your perspective bitcoin has changed your perspective on many things but one of them was just kind of you know the the lending and the real estate and the mortgage business and all this kind of stuff um You've written a book, so you've been deep in the weeds with really understanding all this. How has Bitcoin, like we've been talking about all this, how does it relate to, to your experience? You know, how has really grokking Bitcoin or, or being on that rabbit hole journey 
influenced, you know, your perspective and your uh, values, principles, how you live, all that kind of stuff? Well, so for one, it's made me more aware and empathetic to the rest of the world. I, I've really, I've been in a bubble. I'm a LA native. You know, I've been here, gone to school here. I love California. I love the beach. Um, I haven't been paying attention to what's been going on in Argentina, Lebanon, and I, I had no idea how bad it was in parts of Africa. And looks pretty bad I, in San I was Francisco aware. too. What's that? I said oh. it looks pretty bad in San Francisco. Yeah, no, too. well, yeah, exactly, <laughs> for sure. But it, but but like the inflation levels just were mind-boggling. I have a a a, a chapter in there called "Proof of Destruction," and I just go through how bad the inflation is all around the world, and it's just, um, I I I I was shocked, you know. And it's not just you know poor people; it's you know it's professors and you know captains of industry and all these people that are just decimated. So it it made me aware. And, and it made me aware how I can influence that by also just buying and holding Bitcoin. It also made me aware of, you know, back to the real estate thing. I've, I've been divesting of a lot of real estate and moving it into Bitcoin, you know, even up at the top. And, you know, I, I, I didn't care. It just, it felt like the good thing to do. It felt like the ethical thing to do. And I felt like long-term it's, it's going to work out all fine. Um, it made me question the government a lot more. Um, you know, I've always understood, uh, I've always understood the Federal Reserve and, you know, I had, I had read, you know, Jekyll Island and, you know, all of these books, but because I, because COVID had just happened and seeing what was happening with, with, with the vaccines and the narratives and just like, it just made me realize how much we rely on third parties how much we are, I feel like we're stuck in this FTX world and it's like trying to get out of FTX land. Um, and Bitcoin is like, like the way, it's the shining light you know, down the hallway, come follow me. Um, it's also made me, uh, it's made me value my time more. Now I almost called the book Proof of Time because I was looking to write this third book, and this was before I was even going to write about book Bitcoin. I wanted to write about time, how how valuable time is in our life, and what time means, and how nothing nothing else matters but our time. And then when I, when Bitcoin was hitting, and I was like, oh my god, this is this is the way in. And I'll, I'll give you an example. So I was offered a very lucrative television show to go produce and direct, which I could have done, but instead I said no and wrote this book for free. I wrote it on spec, just me, and. But I didn't care because looking at the larger picture and what Bitcoin is doing for me and what my time is worth, how I want to, you know, I put so many things in the life is short bucket. And to me, it was the life is short bucket because I'm just going to make more money over here. But then I had to remind myself of the stress and managing the cruise and blah, 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 blah. And it's all fine. I love doing that. But I just, you know, I'm, I just felt like this was a higher calling. And I love, I love to educate. And I thought maybe this is a, this is a way in to help show people the problems with, with broken money. So I, I, I don't know, John, it's like kind of all the things we were just talking about. It's just, it's opened my eyes a little bit more and writing the book, as you know, it's like, you don't really write the book for other people. You kind, you kind of write it for yourself. I wrote it to synthesize my thoughts and I wanted to know where my blind spots were. I wanted to know 
what I didn't know because I wasn't aware of what I didn't know until I started writing it. And I got to this point where I wanted to, this is further on in the book, once everything's explained more, but I wanted to explain mining and energy and how it works and how important it is. And so I go through this three chapter arc, right? I borrowed the characters from the TV show Friends, right? Ross, Monica, Rachel, Joey, Chandler. And I have them sitting in the coffee shop and they want to leave the banks and this guy named Satoshi overhears them in the coffee shop. And he's like, oh, I think I can help you. You know, Monica sets up a Google sheet. Like, so they go through the steps and I help explain how important these things are, how important decentralization was and, and, and the Byzantine general's problem. And some of the things that seem way too deep for noobs, but I did it in a story format that I think people will understand how nodes work and how mining works and how energy works. Um, Nice. I didn't get so to that those was, parts yet, but yeah, no. And by the way, with, yeah, with your knowledge and background, I do not expect you to spend too much time on the book, but um, it's uh, I mean, it's mostly written for people that have heard of Bitcoin, but don't really understand all its benefits, you know, and what an amazing tool it is. And so you'll, you for sure can go through and all right, I know where he got this. I know he knows that. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I've been influenced by, you know, all of you guys. Um, well, you always learn. Why it's an know, honor to be on your podcast. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's an honor to have you. And I, you know, with all the, there's so many Bitcoin books out there now, but still, and I, I don't read them all. Definitely not. But um, just because of, as you say, time uh, <laughs> yeah. and stuff, but uh, I do find that, you know, there's always a few nuggets in there, wh whether it's a different way of looking at something, or as you just said, a different way of describing or using a metaphor to explain something that, you know, there's always a few nuggets of value to, uh, to be mined in there. So I, uh, I am going to finish your book and I, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, what, I mean, I don't want this question to be too broad. So instead of saying, what's it like to work in Hollywood, I'll just ask mm. what, what is Hollywood like on Bitcoin, or at least, you know, I'm, I suspect you've talked about it with some of the people that you work with mm -hmm. and stuff like that. What has been the the reaction to your attempts to do so? I'll, I'll tell you. So two things. So one, uh, because I have a, a, a lot of connections there. I mean, I've just worked there for a long time and, you know, my crews and my staff, trust me, I've gotten a lot of people into Bitcoin. Um, unfortunately, some of that has happened near the top. Unfortunately, some of that has led them to the wrong platforms as much as I'm like, get your own wallet, get your own wallet, get your own wallet. But they have that entrance. The problem is that most people in Hollywood are still very, very fiat-minded. And a lot of it is because it's insane money. Like everyone is being paid absurd amounts of money. And it's not until they go through periods where they're between shows and you know they have a three-month break and then they start getting worried, am I going to get hired again, that they start to come back to me and are like, oh, just tell me about Bitcoin, you know, what's going on? And, you know, it just sucks, but right. They say you build during the bear and that's kind of what's happening. Like it, 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 it's like these people need these pain points to, to want to seek it. Cause you know, they're on some show and they're making 7,000 a week or whatever. They don't, they don't care. They just, they have enough money. Oh, prices are going up, but my fees are going up. So it, it's, it's a struggle. It's, it, 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 it it's, it's definitely not easy. And I know there's more Bitcoiners in there um, and I haven't met all of them. I'm actually going to meet up in two days where I think some of them will be. So nice. um, 
Do you think it, it, I mean, it hasn't been easy? Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause my, my impression is that Bitcoin's a bit different because, you know, it, it's money. And as we, you know, money touches everything, right? So you 10, nine out of 10 of the touch points or doors to get into Bitcoin might be closed, but the NGU one might be open to you or the environmental or whatever, right. whatever it might be. So it's a bit different, but of course, Hollywood is traditionally, the impression is very kind of left in its orientation. And so, uh, you know, well, one recent example is like, apparently they had some pretty strict COVID policies during that time, you know, and if you didn't toe the line, if you said anything outside the narrative, whatever, you were shunned, ostracized, fired, whatever, Yep. yep. Um, which sucks. I, I know a few people that, or I know a, a guy that worked in the industry and expressed his disagreement with the dominant narrative and, and he was uh, fired as a result, I believe, or ostracized yep. to the point of having to quit. Um, yeah, we shot all we shot all through that. Uh, you know, everyone had to be masked up. And but I'll tell you this: maybe I shouldn't be saying this on the broadcast, but there's a lot of us out there that disagree with a lot of that. But we just keep our mouth shut. Right. You well, know, yeah. You put on the mask, and you know they they can't legally ask you to show you your passport, your COVID passport. They'll do it, but you could also just say whatever you need to say to you know put food on the table. Yeah. Well, I mean, and again, you know, another one of those ethical conversations, which we all confronted during COVID. It's like, do you speak the truth or yeah. do you do, do you do what you think is right that allows you to put food on the table? You know, and like, that's right. And Peterson, Jordan is often off to say, you know, uh, speak the truth and that whatever happens is the best thing that can happen. And And again, that is a, that is an extreme statement of faith if there ever was one, but right reality is not so black and white right because right. for you know and well i mean a, an extreme example is like if you were hiding jews in nazi germany and they knocked on your door and they were like hey you got jews in the basement what are you going to say yes and then you're all yeah. fucked or are you going to say no absolutely not why don't you come in for a tea you know you'll have a nice chat oh right. my god you know whatever and then they're on their way and you've done what's right so is speaking the truth the most important thing or is doing what's right the most important thing you know, and or reframing what, yeah, or reframing what the question is they're really asking because they're really saying, "Hey, can I come in and kill someone?" In right. which case, you're saying no, so come in and have tea. I don't know. Right. That's what I would say. But no, that's I, a that's a great nuance. Yeah, um, yeah, because, and there's yeah, there's, a, there's obviously a relationship to truth and righteousness as well. So to your point, like maybe you have to decode what is being asked of you so that you can right. answer righteously. And maybe, you know, the righteous answer is, the, and the truthful answer is speaking to their intent, not their actual words, something, you know, something like that. Yeah, that's Well a, said, but, well, very well articulated. Yeah. And this, you know, this is the point, like, aren't these interesting questions? Because they're so sidelined and, and, and derided in the world today as just being irrelevant or, you know, not valuable or whatever, just get on with things. But again, I think, you know, in, in, a, in a Bitcoin world, we will really get into the, we'll chew on these a lot more because we realize like, I mean, is there anything more important than construing your life as ethically and morally as you can? Like when we talk about that ends to which Bitcoin is a means, like what is the greatest ends? Is the greatest ends having a yacht? Is the greatest ends building a great business? Is the greatest ends living a virtuous and righteous life? And I think like, again, perhaps part of the reason why religion has been such a constant in human civilization is because like it's 
it's trying to answer that question and it's trying to propose an answer to it. Now, albeit all systems of of power and in, in influence become corrupted, especially ones that are the most important. And I, I'm very receptive to the notion that that's happened with religions. But, you know, is, is there anything yeah. more important than, than trying to figure out what it means to be as as righteous as one can or should be? And so I think we'll, we'll discuss that a lot more uh, in the future of Bitcoin, hopefully. But my maybe the, the last question regarding Hollywood, I think in, in some sense, some people think Hollywood is like, peak fiat and that's not a slight on the people that are engaged in the work because you know lots of proof of work in presumably getting to the place where you can do what you do and all the other people that have talents and skills and stuff like that but it's it's one of the epicenters of emitting the culture and if the culture is corrupted from the fundamental layer as we've been discussing then what gets emitted is probably going to have that corruption kind of built into it corruption, distortion, fiatness, whatever. Um, and, you know, Hollywood and media generally goes a long way to shaping that perspective that we were we were referring to earlier. And so what is your take on the nature of the beast, if I can put it that way? I mean, it's, you know, it's similar to like, you know, there's what, seven people in the Federal Reserve who make these decisions and it affects the entire world, right? Because it's here in the States and then it like trickles to everybody else that has to trade off of our, you know, petrodollar and whatnot. The same exists in Hollywood. There's six or seven conglomerates. They control literally everything. They own everything. That every, everything has has combined. Now, you know, now we have, you know, a studio called Warner, Warner Brothers Discovery. You know, it's got HBO Discovery. Like it's all under one uh, wing. And so the the mandates of these six to seven people trickle down into every single network just said in a different way, um, whether it's television or films. And so we're all telling, we're all basically telling the same stories that ultimately they have to green light, that they have to agree with. And it's it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a tight filter. It's a tight filter. It, but, you know, the, the fiat mind part is that everybody is in their little bucket, right? Whether they're the, the production designers and they're, they're, they're building the sets or they're the, the decorators or whether they're the camera. Like the camera guys, they're not, they're not really even usually, uh, they're going to hate me for saying this, but they're not really necessarily even listening. They're just trying to make beautiful cinematography and, right, and movement. Right. And vice versa, and everyone is stuck in their little thing. It's it's this incredible collaboration. And creatively, it's it's amazing. But because of that, very few people are are stepping back to see what, you know, ethically or you know morally, or like like what's the story we're telling? Mm. Like a lot of these people, just it's a paycheck for them because they're craftsmen. They're good at what they do, so they enjoy it. As a producer, you know, my job is to tell that story the right way, but I have to tell it in a way that trickling all the way up to one of these six or seven people, it's okay with them. And yeah, it's like, we, we have to, you have to insert wokeness here. And you have to insert, you know, in a sense. It's all over the place. And so it's a constant struggle. Like really the only part that, that I as a producer dislike about, well, there's two parts I dislike about Hollywood. One, having to raise money. I hate that aspect, uh, which is why I, 
of late have done more television than film because on the film side i'm always having to raise money television the network just gives you the money you just but you have to pitch your show the second part that i that i hate is having to deal with the executives the studio executives or the network executives who all are just terrified that they can keep their job they all are you know fired or moved around every two to three years rarely do they stay some some do but most are, are jockeying around and for them to keep their jobs they're just taking the mandates from above and saying well you know we need to be saying this we need to tell our audience that we can't have this character do this and so yeah i, I struggle with that which is why you know you know i'm such a diyer like even in film i i made all of my movies independently every single one of them all 20 of them but i would sell to the studios after the fact so it's like hey do you do you want it are you going to take it you know, and at that point, you still get notes and you still have to modify it. The TV side is worse. It's much easier for the process and easier to get the money and easier to sell a show. But then this is what we're making because you're making a product for the for the advertisers. And, you know, so the Bud Light on there, whoever wants to get woke, you have to keep that there. So it's it's a struggle. But I will tell you, it's it's almost like, you know, like one of those movies where like the aliens are amongst us. It's like there's there's so many people that are bitcoiners and they don't know it yet mm -hmm. you know we're there and i can tell by their values and the discussions we have they don't know that they're bitcoiners yet and but there's a lot of people that just keep quiet in hollywood i think some of the, even the more vocal people don't you know they they feel they need to you know toe the line and broadcast a certain narrative but you go have a beer with them and you talk to them individually and it's it's not it's not really as clear cut as that people just are terrified they want their jobs hollywood is so competitive it's really tough to to go against the the grain yeah yeah i mean one of the things about actors that's always kind of freaked me out or rubbed me the wrong way perhaps amongst several things but one one of them was just like <laughs> man how what what must it feel like to just have your voice be like a hundred percent for sale. Now it's, it's way, you know, you can understand it in the context of a movie. It's like, <clears throat> I'm playing a character, you know, the character says, whatever I, I say, whatever, you know, I'm not the character, but then when, once you're a celebrity, right. you know, you're doing a ad for whatever it is, Coca-Cola or Maybelline or whatever the shit is. And you may not even not use it. You may be like, you know, a lot of these people are Uber health freaks, right. And they're all this kind of stuff, but then they will be like on a, uh, McDonald's commercial or fill in the blank, yeah. you know, like fiat food sort of thing. And I'm, and, you know, I think about it, I'm just like, I would never put my name or face on something that I didn't either use or agree with or something like that. You know, it just, it, it seems so bizarre to me, but you, you act like someone you're not enough. And That's I can right. see how that line becomes just blurred and you're just like, well, whatever, it's just another gig. It's just, you know, yeah. I, someone puts they, me they in front of a camera responsibility, right? Yeah. I read a script. That's what I do. So if I read yeah. a skip for Coca-Cola or for Warner brothers, what's the difference? They're both going to pay me, but I did, you know, it's very it much next just, window. Yeah. It yeah. just, it just seems weird to me, you know, and all this stuff we've been discussing, like, mm -hmm. it seems like in a, well, I, I think in, it seems like someone with more integrity would draw a line somewhere. <laughs> like, again, where's, where's that ethical line? And I think in the future, hopefully people say like, well, look, I'm glad that people think I'm cool and I'm glad that I command attention, but I don't want to direct people to some, something that I wouldn't use myself or that I don't stand by. So, right. you know, the, the $2 million 
check that you're going to give me is nice, but I'm good, you know? Yeah. And, but here we are. Yeah, it doesn't um, exist. Yeah. I mean, and hopefully some of that change. I mean, Spielberg even came out recently and he, he says, you know, I regret painting out the guns in E.T., which he did because back when all the gun violence was happening, he got persuaded to do that. And it's like, this was a class of film. He's like, you know, I now regret that. And yeah. I think I think I think things will come around, and I think the narrative will change because it's like things tend to balance out because it's it's gotten too crazy lately. Yeah. Well, you know, as as we we have been saying again, like the the culture, everything's a feedback loop, right? And so the 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 fundamental, whatever's most fundamental, feeds into the culture. It, it feeds back into it, and it just kind of perpetuates that way. And if we're right that a kind of new base layer is emerging and it's far more pristine, truthful, moral, whatever, then hopefully it will start emitting and inspiring creativity and producing creative works that are in line with that. And that will be this, you know, a, a bigger and bigger and bigger signal that goes out into the culture and early impressions, I think are, are good. You know, we have to remember we're 14 years into this and there's already books and short films and artistic works and all that kind of stuff really over the last, you know, three years, really yeah. kind of exploding. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, very much looking forward to a time when those heroes' journey stories are told through a lens of the values or principles that we might see in Bitcoin or the ones that we might add on top of that through these, you Absolutely. know, our own, uh, you know, discussions about such things. Are you, I mean, does that enter your mind or are you just kind of all business all, about all the it time. at this point? No, before the book, I was reaching out to whoever I could on Twitter and being like, look, these, this is my skill set. Like, how can I contribute? Like, can we can we go make a movie? You know, right, right. Uh, what what can we do? And, I, you know, I got introduced to um, Tomer Strolide and DJ Valerie Belove and a couple. And, you know, I was helping them with this Satoshi opera that has gotten put on hold at the moment. And um, so I was like, OK, I can contribute that way. And um but, you know, I, there's also plenty of great people that are making these shorts, you know, and, and that, you know, I, I don't need to do that. I'm not an, I'm not an editor, um, but something will come along where I can, you know, contribute in that way. But yeah, I, look, if I could just make movies that and it's promote Bitcoin without promoting Bitcoin, that would be right. fantastic. Right, right. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you're probably going to have that opportunity. We Putting a, so. a timeline on on whenever this stuff or when I shouldn't even say when this stuff happens, but I, I think <laughs> the trend will continue, let's say, and I think there'll be many opportunities to do that. So I look forward Absolutely. to seeing your, your more of your work uh, applied to that domain because the, the book has been great so far and I'm sure you're equally talented in other domains of life and look forward to seeing the, the union of those talents and Bitcoin together at some point in the future. But Terrence, uh, been really nice to chat with you, man. I've really enjoyed this and uh, thanks again for booking yourself in and, We'll have to do this again sometime, either uh, on the pod or in the flesh. I would love to. Thanks, John. I really appreciate your time. All right, brother. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.